Good morning. Today's passage comes from the book of 1 Samuel, chapter 17, verses 55 through chapter 18, verse 5. As soon as Saul saw David go out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this youth? And Abner said, As your soul lives, O king, I do not know. And the king said, Inquire whose son the boy is. And as soon as David returned from the striking down of the Philistine, Abner took him and brought him before Saul with the head of the Philistine in his hand. And Saul said to him, Whose son are you, young man? And David answered, I am the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. As soon as he had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his own soul. Saul took him that day and would not let him return to his father's house. Then Jonathan made a covenant with David because he loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan stripped himself of the robe that was on him and gave it to David and his armor and even his sword and his bow and his belt. And David went out and was successful wherever Saul sent him, so that Saul set him over the men of war. And this was good in the sight of all the people and also in the sight of Saul's servants. Well, good morning. Hey, before we study together, we have to celebrate a little bit. The Coal Valley Chargers men's basketball team won the state championship yesterday. Just curious, do we have any of the players in here? I know we have some on the team, but they may be in the high school group. Well, anyway, congratulations. It was a great game and a great championship. Good job to Coal Valley. All the great things they do. This morning I want to talk about friendship. Who are your really close friends? Those who truly know you. Those who love you deeply. Those you can truly be honest with. Recent uh, blog I read said this, the American Sociological Review published a disturbing study recently. In 1985, Americans reported they had three close friends. By 2005, it had dropped to just two. Today, most people cannot name one. In George Barna's church research, he has shown that 70% of pastors do not have one close friend they can confide in. We get more and more isolated in our culture, and as this kind of isolation increases, we are at higher risk for a variety of physical, social, psychological, and spiritual ailments. Think how often people go to a physician just hoping to have someone actually listen to them for two to three minutes. It's true. The Beatles song, Eleanor Rigby, concludes with, Eleanor Rigby died in the church and was buried along with her name. Nobody came. All the lonely people, where do they all come from? All the lonely people, where do they all belong? More and more, people are getting isolated in our culture we have our social networking systems, Facebook, Twitter, etc., where we can keep instant contact with people all over the world. And yet, though we might have 900 friends on Facebook, we have no real friendships. Our relationships have become more and more 
an inch deep and a mile wide, very little depth, few people who really know us and know our hearts. What makes for a true friendship? One that truly connects with our souls, with our hearts, and draws us into deeper maturity and a deeper dependence on the God who loves us. What does that look like? Well, our passage today is a contrast between two different kinds of love. There's the kind of love that uses other people for my own ends, and there's the kind of love that bonds people into a friendship that lasts through all the ups and downs of life and encourages us to be all that God created us to be. Sounds pretty good, doesn't it? (laughs) That's the kind of love Jesus wants us to have with at least a few people in our lives. And that's the kind of friendship that we see and learn about in our passage this morning. So pray with me, if you would. Thank you, Lord, that you are a God of relationship. Father, Son, Holy Spirit, in perfect communion, loving each other, caring for each other perfectly. And thank you, Lord, that you created us in your image, that we were created for relationship. We were created for relationship with you and with one another. True, deep, intimate relationship with at least a few. Oh, Lord, we long for that. Teach us today by the power of your Spirit through your word, to have the kind of relationships you long for us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, as I said, our passage really reveals to us two different kinds of love, two different kinds of friendship. It's interesting to me that both Saul and Jonathan are said to love David. And in 1 Samuel 16, verse 21 says, David came to Saul and attended him, and Saul loved him greatly. He loved him greatly, and he became his armor-bearer. Then in chapter 18, our passage today, verse 1, it says, It came about when he had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. Both of them loved David. In the Hebrew, it's exactly the same word for love. Both Saul and Jonathan loved David, but their love was very, very different. Very different. The word for love here is a word that means to have a strong affection for. Saul, it says, was very drawn to David. He was very strongly loved him in that sense, a strong affection to him. Jonathan, it says, loved him as he loved himself. They both loved him, and yet their loves were very different. What's the first kind of love that we see in Saul? Well, it begins our passage with verse 55. When Saul saw David going out against the Philistine, he said to Abner, the commander of the army, Abner, whose son is this young man? And Abner said, By your life, O king, I do not know. Now David's headed out. He's going to fight Goliath at that point. The author's kind of flashback here to when David, before he kills Goliath, but he's going out. And the first thing Saul thinks about is, I wonder whose 
his family. I wonder who his dad is. Interesting, isn't it? Then in the next few verses, you see that he comes back and Saul's asking the same thing. Who, whose son is he? And then when he finally shows up and is before his face, he asks again, whose son are you? Interesting that Saul is so consumed. Uh, David has just won a great victory. He's just killed Goliath. He's just defeated the Philistines through his courage and his faith in God. He's won this incredible victory. It should be a time of congratulations and thanks and praise. And all he can think about is, whose son are you? (laughs) Why is he so consumed that he keeps asking, which suggests some uneasiness about this young man? Does he see him as a threat, maybe, to his throne? Possibly? Already? We certainly see that in the next few verses as the chapter goes on next week. We'll talk about that. Is it that he sees such faith, he wonders if he's from a priestly family? Possibly. Is it that he had promised whoever defeated Goliath that he would give them three things, great riches, his family would be exempt from taxes, and he promised his daughters, his hand, the hand of his daughter in marriage. So could be that he's thinking about that and he's wondering, gee, who is going to marry my daughter? What, what family is he from? That could very well be. But what's interesting about it, whatever the reason, what you see is that Saul is concerned more about David's status, his family background, than he is about David's amazing faith in God. By the way, those promises Saul never really followed through on (laughs) to David, so he didn't seem too committed to all that. But what a sight this had to have been. David standing before the king. He's not very old here, under 20 probably. He's holding the head of the Philistine, of Goliath, blood dripping from it. After winning a great victory for Saul and for Israel, and all Saul can think about, I wonder what his family is from. And then Saul is disrespectful. In verse 58, he calls him boy. Whose son are you, boy? (laughs) Wait a minute. He may be young, but he just won this great victory. But it's very disrespectful. I think he's putting David in his place. He loves David in a way as long as David's doing him some good. But if he's not then he's not so loving. And in verse 2 of chapter 18, we learn a lot about what kind of love Saul has. Literally, it says this. Saul took him, took David that day, and did not give him to return to his father's house. Interesting words. He took and he did not give. That's very descriptive of the kind of love that Saul has. It's a taking kind of love. I will take you as long as I can benefit from you. It's a love that's attracted to a person because of what he or she can do for me. It's a love because of. Saul's a user of people. He sets him over his army. We're told in verse 5. And he goes out and wins victories. It says it pleased everybody but Saul's not mentioned. All of a sudden, Saul's not so pleased with him, and we'll see in the next few weeks what kind of love Saul really has. 
I love you as long as it benefits me. I love you as long as it helps me. And when it quits helping me, then you're no longer someone I love. When you're no longer useful to me, when you're a threat to me, then our friendship is over. You know this kind of person because, frankly, if we're honest, this is a natural course of relationships in our world. We're users of one another. We want friendships that benefit us, and when they don't, then we discard them. That's the natural way of the world. We may be very nice, or people may be nice to us, and very kind and giving to a certain extent, as long as it benefits me. There always seems to be a catch in that kind of relationship. Always seems to be this sense that they make you feel obligated, that if they do something for you, you better repay. You better do something for them. But when you really need them, they tend to disappear. Larry Crabb, in his book, The Marriage Builder, talks about two approaches to marriage relationships. It applies to friendships as well. He says, you're either, minist- you're either involved in manipulation or ministry. Manipulation, I need to have you meet my needs, so I will be kind to you, I will be do whatever to get you to benefit me. When we bring that into a marriage, it brings destruction because it's selfish. He says, the other approach is ministry, where I'm here to minister to you, to give to you, to build you up, to encourage you to be all that God created you to be. That's my commitment to you. We'll talk more about that in a moment. It's a very different kind of love. Uh, The contrast can be described as self-centered or other-centered relating. So often we use people to build up our own ego, to make ourselves feel good. You know, I love it when people are nice to me, but, you know, when they're not so nice to me, then where does my love go? At core, what's going on with most of our relationships is described by Pascal, who described that we all have a God-shaped vacuum in us. And as long as we have this idea that somehow I need you, I need people to fill that vacuum in my soul that is God-shaped and only God can fill, but I want you to fill it, as long as we're doing that, then we will be frustrated. We will be users of other people. In the book of Jeremiah, chapter 2, verse 13, Jeremiah writes, And this is God speaking through the prophet Jeremiah. For my people have committed two evils. They have forsaken me, the fountain of living waters, to hew for themselves cisterns, broken cisterns, that can hold no water. I think the point of that is saying we're all thirsty. We're we're all needing that God-shaped vacuum to be filled by the living water, the fountain of living water that Jesus is that God wants to fill our hearts with. But what we've all tended to do is say, yeah, I don't know, that's hard to trust in you, so I will find another way. I will hew for myself cisterns to try to catch water my way. And he says they're broken. They can't hold water. And when we live life trying to take from other people, I need you to meet my needs, we end up frustrated when we try to get people to fill that thirst 
for us. And we all naturally do this. I know for me, much of my life, I've thought, gee, if I can just be nice enough, then people will treat me like I want to be treated and life will go well. It doesn't work. (laughs) God in His grace has given me plenty of people that no matter how nice I try to be, don't like me, even hate me at times. It's painful, it's hard, but you know what? It's a great gift from the Lord to teach me that my cistern leaks. It can't hold any water. And if I'm looking to people for life, I am in trouble. What we're describing here is a taking kind of love. Saul's kind of love is a taking kind of love. He took David for his own purposes. This kind of love, Saul's kind of love, is selfish and demanding in the end, does not bring about real intimacy. It leads to a deeper loneliness, isolation, and division. Dr. Dan Allender in his book, Leading with the Limp, which is on leadership, excellent book on leadership, describes how this happens to us. He describes it as narcissism. Narcissism is not merely an orientation to life that's self-centered or self-consumed. It's a far more debilitating process that empties a person's inner core as she becomes more suspicious and manipulative. The wound often energizes a demand to prevail at any cost. It's a vicious cycle. Fear creates a growing emptiness in a person which results in a self-fulfilling loop of paranoia and perceived betrayal. The cycle convinces the person that he is alone and that the only workable solution is to manipulate the world so he can gain a small degree of safety. That's what happens when we try to live with a taking kind of love. It's not a pretty picture, is it? But there is another kind of love that we can live. It's a giving kind of love. It's Jonathan's kind of love. Let's go back to 18, verse 1, where it says, Now it came about when he, David, had finished speaking to Saul that the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as himself. It says Jonathan's heart, as he was listening to David, David's words, his heart was knit, bonded to him. This word for Bonding is a very strong word. It's used of binding jewelry on a beautiful bride. It's used to describe Jacob, whose heart was bound up in the heart of his son, and he says, if you take my son away, my life will be forfeit. I'll die. Having that kind of covenant bonding to another person, being knit together, being one in spirit. I had the privilege of officiating a few years back at a wedding that had a Thai theme. The woman was from Thailand. And one of their common traditions in Thailand in a wedding is pretty interesting. When you come into the wedding, everybody's given a string a couple feet long. And then when you have the receiving line after the ceremony, we all walk through and everybody took their string and the bride and groom had their wrists together, their arms together, and everybody wrapped their string around both wrists. So by the time the line was finished, they had a huge wad binding their arms together. Beautiful picture of what a marriage covenant is meant to be. 
Our lives are bound together from this day forward. It cannot be separated. That's the picture here. Their hearts were knit together. What bonded their hearts together, though? It says he heard the words of David. Now, would it be the last words of chapter 17? David answered, I'm the son of your servant Jesse, the Bethlehemite. I don't think that's what bound their hearts together. (laughs) I think it was the words a little further back in the chapter, starting in verse 34, where Jonathan is standing with his father Saul as David's about to go fight Goliath and he's listening to these words come out of David's mouth. David said to Saul, Your servant was tending his father's sheep. When a lion or bear came and took a lamb from the flock, I went out after him and attacked him and rescued it from his mouth. And when he rose up against me, I seized him by his beard and struck him and killed him. Your servant has killed both the lion and the bear, and this uncircumcised Philistine will be like one of them, since he has taunted the armies of the living God. And David said, The Lord who has delivered me from the paw of the lion and from the paw of the bear, he will deliver me from the hand of this Philistine. I think Jonathan heard those words and his heart was knit to David because he heard in those words a heart of faith, a heart of commitment to God. Jonathan had used similar words when he said, let's go attack to his armor bearer. Let's go attack these uncircumcised Philistines. You see, he heard the voice of someone who had a faith like his. And that deep faith in God bonded them together. That's the deepest kind of bond you can have is this sense that we are on the same path serving the same Lord and we are committed to follow Him no matter what, to live by faith in Him. That's what knits you together far more than anything else, any other kind of bond. You know, in friendships, we have bonds, right? I mean, that's what draws you together. Hey, we both like to play tennis. Hey, we both go to the same church. Hey, we both have a young child. We both like the same movies or whatever it might be. Things bond us together, but understand those are on a superficial level. And those friendships, those kind of bonds don't last. But the kind of bond that lasts is one where spiritually you are of one heart and one mind, seeking the Lord together. And notice the kind of love that's described of Jonathan. It says twice in these few verses of chapter 18, 1 through 5, it says, and Jonathan loved David as himself, as himself, as he loved his own soul, literally. Now Saul had an affection for David. He really had a strong affection but he didn't love him as himself. What does it mean to love someone as yourself? How does one love like that? Well, Jonathan loved David to the point where he was as important to him as he himself was. Now, all of us are really good at loving ourselves. You know, you all are, look pretty well fed. <laughs> You're all dressed. I am hoping most all of you showered today. You take care of yourselves, right? We take care of ourselves. But to love someone as yourself is to say, I'm willing to even set apart, set aside what I would do for myself for you. 
sacrifice for you. I will love you as much as I love myself. How do we learn to love that way? Dr. Bruce Walkie says this about this passage. Saul has no words of praise for Yahweh or for David. He is incapable of love because he does not love himself. Listen carefully to his description here. In truth, people cannot love self until they dare to know they are loved by God. Only then are they free of the ulterior motives of getting attention and love from another. You read that again. In truth, people cannot love self until they dare to know that they are loved by God. Only then are they free of the ulterior motives of getting attention and love from another. You see, only knowing God's great love for you and learning by faith to claim that as the truth, as the reality of your life, that He loves me dearly and this God-shaped vacuum can't be filled by any person or any experience in life, only by Him, and I'm trusting you to fill that, Lord. Only then do we really love ourselves properly, and only then are we able to give ourselves away to love others, because that God-shaped vacuum is filled by Him. And what does Jonathan do as a result of this kind of love he has, this truly giving kind of love? What's the natural result of that kind of love? It's a covenant, a commitment. Verse 3, Jonathan then made a covenant with David, cut a covenant because he loved him as himself. He made a covenant with him. What does it mean to cut a covenant? In the Old Testament, to make a covenant was something they did. They'd take an animal and they'd cut it in half. And then they would take the two parts and separate them. And then they would walk through the middle. And the intent was then that they would say, May the Lord do to me if I should ever violate my commitment I have just made. May he do to me like has been done to this animal. It was a serious thing. It was a covenant. It was a commitment. Thus may the Lord do to me. I think we as Christians should be people of covenant. We should make commitments that we follow through on. And of course, there's nothing more important, I think, than a marriage covenant, a marriage commitment. That's our most important covenant. And the breakdown of marriage covenants has broken down our culture today. We need to have covenants with a few friends as well, as well as our spouse, where we say, no matter what happens, I will stick by you and seek your best. I will treat you as important as, important as I treat myself in our dealings with one another. And then follow through. Our culture says, commitment confines and stifles a person. Don't commit. I can't be happy within the restrictions of commitment. I was talking to a woman just a few days ago. She was saying, yeah, I'm I'm engaged. I said, well, when are you going to get married? Oh, I don't know if we really are. 
We've both been married before. You know, it was really messy. And so we're just living together. We're just, you know, I'm just terrified of commitment. That's kind of our world today, and I understand that. But to think that we should avoid commitment then, it's just wrong thinking. Commitment releases God's life. And commitment allows us to experience deep intimacy, the kind that we were created for. Only in a covenant relationship where we're committed to one another can trust be built and intimacy grow. And when we have the breakdown of marriages and friendships where there's no covenant, there's no commitment, it's destructive in our society. True trust and intimacy can only grow in the soil of commitment, of covenant with one another. And in a marriage, if there's any threat of divorce, of walking out, then trust is being violated. That's not covenant. When you take those marriage vows, you are to be committing yourself to stick by that person no matter what. So what does Jonathan do that next? It says he stripped off his robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, including even his sword and even his bow and even his belt. It's, it's emphasized in the text. Saul took David for his own purposes. Jonathan gave What's he giving when he gives his robe and all his armor? He's giving the sign of him being the heir to the throne. He's giving up his own rights. He's saying, David, I believe you're the rightful king and I will give up my rights to the throne as the son of Saul and I will seek your best. Wow. It's an amazing scene that Jonathan would give up his rights for David. Note the word gave. He gave. He gave. The name Jonathan means Yahweh gives. Yonatan. Saul had just... It, describing Saul, it says, he took and lo Natan would not give. But Jonathan Natan gave David everything because... He trusted that Yahweh gives, Yehonatan, Jonathan, therefore I can give to others. That's truly a giving kind of love, a sacrificial love that costs Jonathan the throne in the end. This kind of love is, being, is willing to be involved with the person and committed to the person even when they hurt you. This kind of love is willing to take a risk to step into someone's life and share hard things and even be confrontive for the sake of the other person's maturity and growth in the Lord. This is true giving, sacrificial, covenant kind of love. Who wouldn't want to be David here to have a Jonathan committing to you in this way? 
Have you ever had someone love you that deeply with that giving kind of love, a covenant kind of love, a sacrificial Jonathan kind of love? It's rare, but it's wonderful. After Jonathan was killed in battle, David says this, 2 Samuel chapter 1, he wrote a song of lament. And he says in verse 25 and 26 of 2 Samuel chapter 1, how, how have the mighty fallen in the midst of the battle? Jonathan is slain on your high places. I am distressed for you, my brother Jonathan. You have been very pleasant to me. Your love to me was more wonderful than the love of women. Well, some people have foolishly said, oh, they must have had a homosexual relationship. How foolish. What David is saying is that it's far greater than romantic love. This kind of covenant commitment, someone who committed his life to me and stood by it and gave to me when I didn't deserve it. It's a wonderful, wonderful picture of covenant love. The picture that came to my mind as I thought about this was from the Lord of the Rings. The relationship between Frodo and Sam. As Frodo is taking off at one scene and he says, Sam, I have to do this alone. Sam says, I know you do and I'm going with you. <laughs> and he swims out in the water almost drowns to be with his friend. And at the end of the movie, as they're climbing Mount Doom, they're exhausted. They can't go on hardly. Frodo's spent. Sam says, I can't carry it for you, the ring that needs to be destroyed. But I can carry you, Frodo. And he picks him up, carries him up the mountain. Have you ever been loved with that kind of covenant friendship love? Ever? Yes, you have. <laughs> yes, you have. By our Lord Jesus. Jonathan is just a picture for us of the love that Jesus has had for us. <laughs> a love that's sacrificial. He covenanted with us. He gave up his life for us. And it's the model for all other loves. He calls us friends. And now he says, because I have loved you with this kind of love, now love others as well with the same covenant, gracious kind of love. We don't have to try to get people to fill the vacuum in our hearts, to fill our thirst. We can rest in him, know him, and give our lives away. If you've been selfish and self-serving, taking in your relationships, and we all have to some degree, and you're lonely as a result, here's the good news. You can move from being a Saul to a Jonathan in how you love. How do we do that? Number one, repent. Recognize your sinfulness. Turn to the Lord and say, Lord, I confess my sin, my selfishness. I want to live in you. I want to depend on you. And then secondly, turn to Jesus and have your thirst met in him. Jesus said in John chapter 7, verse 37 and 38, it says he stood up at the end of the feast and said, 
If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. And out of him will flow rivers of living water. What an incredible promise. If we will drink from him, then we will have his life to fill the thirst of others, to bless them with his love and his life. So how do we develop that kind of love? Drink deeply of Jesus. Find your life in him. By faith, believe that he is enough for me to fill my soul and my needs. And then look for opportunities to let his life flow through us in covenant, sacrificial relationships. Let's pray. Oh Lord, how we long for this kind of love. But you say that we can give it. We can be that river of life for others to covenant and sacrifice with them because you have loved us. So Lord, help us drink deeply from you and learn to be people that love well, not as Saul did, but as Jonathan did, a covenant sacrificial love that brings blessing to the lives around us. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, now I want to invite up a class, the All Ages and Stages class. We are going to have a baptism. So Claudia is coming on up, and Bob Johnstone is going to lead us. This is perfect. Claudia Bowman has attended Cole for a couple of years, and she has been discipled by uh, Sandra and Ellen, and because of uh, their relationship and their discipleship with Claudia, she's decided to be baptized. And she would like to share a few words with you concerning her relationship with Jesus Christ. Okay. How you guys doing? Oh, man. That's all right, honey. Okay. I wanted to share something with you back when I was first injured. Okay. Um, my spinal cord doctor visited me when I was in the hospital, and I told him how depressed I was about my injury and I wanted and that I wanted to end my life. He told me that I needed the Lord in my life. That summer I met Sandy Moten at St. Al's rehab. She had a Jesus ring on. It made me feel intimidated because I had a bad mouth. She invited me to women's night out and to church. Coming from a hard family, I felt peace when I was at church. Then I started coming to Sunday school classes and wanted to change my ways. Through coming to church, Sunday school, and Bible study, I began to understand that Jesus is the Son of God and that he died for my sins. Now I want to... No, sorry, you guys. Now I, now I want to grow and change my attitude and 
improve my language. Please pray for me. Thank you. Very good, honey. Uh, Claudia, do you believe that Jesus, as your shepherd, and you, his sheep, will deliver you into his heavenly kingdom? Yes, I do. Okay, on your confession of faith in Jesus, your ladies are going to baptize you. In the name of the Father, and the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Congratulations.